Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. Welcome to the Empty Office Podcast. My name's Mike Mason. Today, Senator Tobin and I are joined by Senator Kathy Giesel from Anchorage. Senator Giesel is a transformational politician with a record of charting her own course through some very turbulent political waters. Her experience in the Capitol building is extensive. She served as the president of the Alaska State Senate during the 31st Alaska State Legislature in 2019 and 2020. And Senator Giesel currently serves as the majority leader for the bipartisan Alaska Senate majority. Senator Tobin and Senator Giesel, good morning. Good morning, Mike. So we are recording today's podcast about two weeks after the 2023 session ended. That includes the one-day special session that was held on the 18th. I wanted to get your perspective on how things shaped up at the end of the session. Senator Giesel, what are your thoughts about how things shaped up, and was it good or bad or a little bit of both? My answer is, I thought it was great. You know, I think people ask that question because we had to go to that one-day special session. But I thought it was a very positive uh, uh, session. We accomplished a lot. And um, and it's always um, negotiations at the end. But, but I really thought it was very positive overall. Senator Tobin, what are your thoughts? Uh, how things shaped up? We've spoken about this a couple of times. Uh, it, from, from a couple of perspectives, it was really, really good, wasn't it? It was. And I have to give substantial kudos and credit to our leadership team for the Senate majority. I know it wasn't easy to go into a room trying to please individuals who didn't really seem to have a collective direction they were trying to head toward. Figuring out where you could pick up the votes that were needed and necessary to ensure that we wouldn't have a government shutdown, to fight for and defend the substantial increase to schools to make sure money stayed in the budget for childcare and for home and community-based services. I know Senator Giesel was a significant and vocal champion of all of those components. And it really is a testament to our leadership's fortitude in saying we're willing to find common ground, but we're unwilling to compromise our values. So I've worked in the Alaska State Legislature since 2014, basically late 2014. Senator Giesel's first year in the legislature was 2011, I believe. And this is Senator Tobin's fourth year in the legislature, one year as a senator, or not even five months as a senator, I guess, and now three years uh, as staff to Senator Begich. So toward the end of this year's session, I spoke to a lot of lawmakers and staff and they were freaking out about how like the budget negotiations were going and kind of all that normal end of year uh, session politics. And, and I pulled several people aside and tried to provide some sort of historical perspective because I've been there since 2015 and 2015 was worse. 2016 was worse. 2017 was worse. 2018 was worse. We're going to talk about 2019 in a moment, which was one of the worst years ever. 2020 uh, session was cut short by COVID. 2021 was still pretty bad, but it was helped out by the uh, the war in Ukraine that spiked oil prices and made some decisions easier. 
and a lot of people they they had the especially the new people and a lot of the new staff had none of that historical perspective so they were just looking at kind of the the swirling whirlwind in the building and we're going along with it as someone that's been around for quite some time senator giesel what were your thoughts about kind of how this year shaped up and how it is compared to previous years because you have been through some really long protracted drawn out legislative sessions for a lot of those years, you know, you mentioned I first came in 2011, and um, I was uh, actually a minority member in 2011 and 12. And then uh, for several years, I was, I'll say, just a member of, um, of a caucus. And so I didn't really experience that arm wrestling that happens at the end of a session. I think the only year that we did, accomplished it in 90 days. I'm thinking it was 2013. Uh, it was either there or 2014. Anyway, we've always had longer than 90 day sessions. There was the year, I think it was 2016 or 15, that Representative Garantar and I were uh, leads in the Senate Resources Committee. And we had the task of repealing the cash credits for oil. That was tough because, you know, we both were representing our caucuses and, and that was a long, that was a long uh, negotiation. 2019 was difficult because um, I was Senate president that year, 2019 and 2020. 2019, uh, while the Republicans had 14 members, and there were six members in the minority. That was a challenging year because that four, those 14 Republicans were divided. And so while we had a majority caucus, it was a divided caucus that uh, argued uh, pretty vigorously with each other, which, which made it challenging. The um, positive there was that Tom Begich, who was the minority leader, and I met on the very first day of the 2019 um, legislature. At, we met at nine o'clock in the morning. And by the end of that one hour meeting, um, we both were surprised. And I can say this because Thomas said it himself at how much we had in common. And we looked forward actually from that day on to working together. And so despite the fact that perhaps the, the majority caucus had some arm wrestling going on. Um, I had a delightful time working with Tom and his team. And of course, we had um, independent Representative Bryce Edgman as the House Speaker, uh, who again was delightful to work with. So, you know, it's a hard job to begin with. Anybody that thinks this is easy, um, well, it's, it's not. But there's always bright spots. And, and so uh, so that's what I would say. I do think it was really interesting to being a staffer for Senator Begich in 2019 and watching his relationship with you grow and his own movement in recognizing that there are good people with good ideas who we often stereotypically 
deny their right to be in the room because we think, oh, well, they're a Republican or they're a conservative or maybe they're too progressive or too liberal. But when we actually sit down and talk with each other, 99, 95, 98% of the things we agree upon. And that's one thing I really appreciate about the Senate majority today. I walk into a caucus meeting and there's probably between 90 to 95% of everything that I'll say, oh yeah, I think that's a great way to do that or that's a good approach. And the remaining 5%, we have good debate and dialogue about and we foster that. We allow for that communication to occur so we can understand where the other perspectives or insight are coming from. And to me, that makes our caucus stronger and it makes the policy that we are putting forth stronger. And it makes me curious, uh, as I know that later there was this exploration and non-binding caucuses in the Senate majority. And we're seeing that uh, continued experiment happening in the House majority. What are your thoughts about a binding caucus? What are your what is your insight that might be helpful for folks who are thinking about this particular apparatus and its value in politics? I don't like that term, binding caucus. It's, it sounds very rigid and um, it just sounds bad, right? What it really is, is a team agreement. Because that's what we do when we form a caucus. You just described it perfectly. I'm not an athlete, uh, but for a short time, I was uh, on a women's softball team. And, you know, it's not that I was close friends with everybody on that team, but I what I, I came in with that, that uh, commitment that we were a team and we were working together. I wasn't going to go out there and and hit the ball purposefully to the other team's uh, fielder, right? To, to, so that we would lose. We were there, each one of us was there committed to working as a team with everyone else. And that's really what um, this team agreement is. So we start out, as you describe, we come into that room and we talk about our goals and vision. And you're right. We found all these things that, that we agree on, which is really what happened when Tom and I met that first time. It was like, wow, these peripheral things, right? But any, we don't agree on, but that's okay. Well, anyway, um, we set these goals and the, the most important goal, the only constitutional requirement we have is to pass that budget, right? And so we agreed. We agreed we weren't going to spend from savings. We agreed we weren't going to overdraw the earnings reserve. In other words, overspend the percent of market value. That core belief is what we all went forward with. But at the end of the day, we all had our input into the budget and we all agreed we would vote for the budget however it came out. That's what this air quotes binding caucus is all about. In addition, we chose who the Senate president would be. And we said, we're going to support this person. That's like saying, this is the coach. And if the coach says, this is the play, that's the play, right? Everything else was open for discussion. And, and it was just as you describe it, Senator Tobin. We get, come together and we talk about things. And, and um, yeah, sometimes we disagree and kind of wrestle things down. The Senate majority coalesced around uh, several priority uh, priorities this year. 
one of which was an increase to education funding, which Senator Tobin and I spent a lot of time working on this year. The uh, Another priority was the defined benefits bill, which you, Senator Giesel, got to do all of the heavy lifting on, or at least much of the heavy lifting. And that is a big, heavy lift uh, in Alaska, not only the policy-wise, but also the politics uh, behind it. And we could go into the politics, but uh, they are long and and fraught with peril. Uh, so I, I just wanted to ask about the development of the bill and kind of where you see the progress of it thus far and the prospects for something reaching the finish line uh, by the end of next year. I am extremely optimistic about the defined benefit pension bill crossing the finish line by next May. First thing you have to know is, first of all, while I have the privilege of carrying the bill, the work has been under undergone over the last 15 years from the day that first defined contribution plan went into place. Um, many people recognize that this defined contribution plan would not create a retirement that our state employees could, could have a dignified retirement under. Uh, it simply would not be something that would set aside enough money. Uh, and add to that the fact that teachers in Alaska do not receive Social Security. They, we opted out of Social Security for teachers decades ago. And so we're really in a crisis right now of state employees that um, are leaving the job, firefighters that are moving to Washington, Oregon, other states, all the other states have some form of defined benefit for firefighters, public safety folks. We have people leaving the state to have um, a retirement plan that is much more, um, much more resilient and, and dependable. So the bill is really the product of work by lots of stakeholders over, over decades, right? Uh, as I said, a decade and a half. As the bill was being written, and it took a long time to get it written because we have new people working in legislative legal. These are the attorneys that actually draft bills. And these bills have to comply with our law, our other statutes, our constitution. It is very complicated. And so it took a while to get the bill drafted, which meant it took a while to get it on the table. But, you know, once we did, the data that shows how important it is to have this kind of dependable uh, retirement for state employees, teachers, um, truck drivers, snowplow drivers, bus drivers, all these kinds of folks. Um, that's what recruits and retains these quality people. Right now, we're actually losing people that, um, that issue permits for building, issue licenses for people to do jobs in Alaska. It's taking months to do things that typically would take a few weeks in the past because, because departments are so understaffed. We've got to fix this problem. I was having a good conversation with some folks who do much of our snow plowing and they were sharing with me why we have only about a 50% 
staffing of those particular positions, why we have such a, a an open, we have so many open positions within our, our plowing community. And, and really it had a lot to do with the inability to keep up with competitive wages and the fact that we don't have a defined benefit system. And I think back to this last summer, or excuse me, this last winter here in Anchorage and how horrible it was. I live in downtown Anchorage and I couldn't get out of my driveway because we didn't have a plow truck come through and make it possible for us to back into our alleyway so we could back onto 10th Avenue. And it is fascinating to me that people don't seem to put all these pieces together and recognize that much of the hardship we've experienced over the last few years is because Alaska has just not been a great place to retain employees. We don't have those systems that allow folks to think, well, I can stay in this job for 10, 15, possibly 20 years. The other one that I thought was very interesting uh, because it's how I became a tier three is that we don't have enough lifeguards. And when I first moved to Anchorage, I became a lifeguard at Betty Davis East High became a tier three employee with the municipality of Anchorage and have since stayed within municipal and state government in those positions because I wanted to continue to contribute to my retirement. There's not enough folk who wanna come in and be lifeguards to keep our pools open. And when we think about all the things that learning to swim helps to make sure that young kids are safe when they're boating, when they're out by the water, that we uh, are able to protect uh, our community members by giving them this resource that we help with their health and their wellness, the fact that we just can't get enough lifeguards to keep our municipal pools open. And a component of that is the retire just the retirement piece. Uh, that makes me really worried about our city and our state. Before we run completely and totally out of time, I want to talk about a huge, massive issue that uh, Senator Giesel knows a little bit about, and that is health care. And uh, when I talk to people, I try as often as I can to bring up the fact that healthcare is like the number one issue to the vast majority of people. It is the thing that they are worried the most about. Uh, as a registered nurse, nurse practitioner, you've done a lot of work in the healthcare field. I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds about healthcare, but like what is, there's a lot of stresses on our healthcare industry right now, aren't there? There are a lot. Uh, the cost of health care, of course, in Alaska is the highest in the U.S. The U.S. is the highest in the world. Um, and yet we still have um, very high disease rates um, and things like that. There's a positive step that will be taken by the end of this year, and that is the repeal of a rule we have in government uh, that requires very high reimbursement for it's mainly specialists who are not covered under insurance. It's called the 80th percentile rule. You're right, it's complicated. We won't get into details here, but um, that will be repealed the end of this year. So yippee, that was something the director of the Division of Insurance uh, determined to do. Um, we need to do more. Uh, the home and community-based services that Senator um, Tobin referenced earlier uh, allows people to stay in their home and have people come into their homes and help them with the healthcare needs they have. So they're not having to be in an institution. This helps keep costs down as well. We appropriated funds to, um, to adjust the reimbursement that those folks receive for these services through Medicaid. Um, so we're doing these small things 
Um, there's also some work in pharmaceuticals that I've been working on for several years, making incremental progress. Pharmaceuticals are um, outrageously expensive and we actually are paying far more than we should for those. Uh, and that's partly because of some middlemen that are in that, in that whole game. Uh, so those are some things we're working on also. It's interesting to me as I know the population of Alaska is aging. And we have many more Alaskans who are looking towards our pioneer homes, which I know you're a big supporter of. They're looking toward how they stay and thrive and age in place and how home and community-based services might provide some avenue for that. There are so many of these pieces that I think I really look toward your expertise when we sit on the Health and Social Services Committee together as how we can best serve and support our aging population. I want every Alaskan who's raised a family here and who has worked here to stay here and to know that we care and are supportive of them having access to good quality care, having access to the environment uh, that helps them thrive, then also knows that they're not going to have to pay out the nose for things in the lower 48 that they might be able to access much easier. So I'm really excited over the next year or so as we continue to talk about how is it that we support our communities particularly those who we want to make sure can age and thrive in place. So we are uh, completely out of time. So I'm going to ask my, <laughs> you keep uh, saying that, Mike. I'm going to ask my final question. And this is the question I've been asking everybody. Uh, so Senator Giesel, if you could choose one person, that person can be dead or alive. Uh, they get a vote and they get to sit next to you or Senator Tobin on the floor of the Alaska State Senate to help us out. Who would that person be? You know who comes to mind, Mike? is um is tom baggage i would like to have him back um not to replace senator tobin that would be a complicating factor since they live in the same area but um i want to keep both of them i want to keep senator tobin tobin and senator baggage um he just brought such insight and um and wisdom and and the ability to collaborate. And, and I just really miss that. I, I, not that we don't have it at all. We have it, we actually, um, I'm enjoying very much working with Senator Wilenkowski um, and of course, Senator Tobin. But um, yeah, I think it'd be fun to have uh, Tom Begich back. If only for his uh, smooth and dulcet tones to serenade us in the late evenings. <laughs> yes. So you have been listening to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Substack and the Apple Podcast app. And now you can even listen to the Empty Office podcast on Spotify. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive review that will help spread the word. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there.